Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick here and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights and this week we're discussing musical neighbours. Nick, you're a musical neighbour. I am actually. I must confess that I am. We might get on to our personal experiences in yeah. due course, but this what we're really talking about is Fiona Fay, who is... Um, Who's she? She's actually... I, I thought she was just a person in the news, but it turns out she's part of a relatively well-known um, musical group called okay. the Medieval Babes. Oh, okay. They're an all-female choir who sing kind of medieval and faux medieval songs. Quite popular. Um, anyway, she's a multi-instrumentalist. Okay. And, um, uh, you know, does things like play the guitar and the piano and something called the low whistle. Um, she got lots of complaints from her neighbours. I'm not sure if it was lots of neighbours or just one particularly aggrieved neighbour. Mm. Anyway, Lewisham Council apparently uh, uh, sort of more or less took the neighbour's side in this and said that she was making too much noise and uh, that she got threatened with a, a fine of 5,000 quid or something if she carried on playing... Um, her instruments. I, I don't think she was playing uh, instruments in the middle of the night or anything like that. I think it was literally during the day. But it's just that the noise it made was sufficiently audible by her neighbours. That one um, neighbour. I'm just looking at the article. Right. Me, one neighbour. Right. So mm. so anyway, um, she has uh, more or less concluded that in order to avoid being fined, she she's moved out and is apparently as, as, when she was long, her last known condition was that she was sofa surfing. <laughs> with presumably more more artistically inclined friends. Yes. So, um, classic, a tale as old as time, uh, mm. or at least perhaps not. We'll get at least going that. back to medieval times anyway. Maybe. Well, it's appropriate. She sounds like she's now a wandering minstrel. So, um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, this is potentially a tale as old as time, but we actually will get on to how, how uh, long this kind of thing might have been a problem for. Um, but it's certainly a, a problem now. Um so we, you know, and and there are lots of cases. Uh, so this, uh, the Independent Society of Musicians apparently helps people out. Uh, a handful of people a year apparently are in this sort of position. Um, a lad called James Carabino, who I think was a Young Musician of the Year finalist, got um, got a notice banning him from practicing the piano for more than an hour a day, for example. That's crazy. I, yeah. uh, and and it just it reminds me slightly of those, you know, the people who sort of move to a village and then complain about the church bells. Um, you know, people out there like listening to music, don't they? But for some reason, they don't like listening to people practice music. But mm. you do have to have that if you want people to play music. Mm. Um, so I think I'm slightly giving away whose side I'm on here. Mm. Yeah. And we've already agreed that I'm potentially one of these troublemakers myself. Yes. Um, but in ge- it's obviously a an issue, uh, not just noise. But everything, isn't it? It's it's noise. It's it's the condition of your front garden. It's how you treat communal spaces. Um, in general, the the problem of how you how you how we should live communally. What should the rules be? What what would it be better to allow or disallow? And um, is it uh, you know if you if you don't like a bit of noise, should you just f off and move to the countryside? Mm. Um, so big load of questions there. I think fairly fundamental ones about um, the nature of society. Well, yeah. Are we really going to get an episode out of this, guys? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, we've got. There's loads. Isn't it just that some here. people are gits? 
Some people are well, more. Who, who's the git though? Yeah. Not you, right? Not the musician. Oh, the, yeah. the person. Oh, okay. I thought well, it's whoever the other person is, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if someone is, if someone's making an absolute racket. Yeah. Oh, by the way. Yeah. So this is where I draw the line a bit. Um, when I if I music, if you don't, if you've never been a musician, or you or you uh, have not lived next door to a musician, you might not know that um, practicing music doesn't involve playing. 20 nice tunes each day involves playing the same bar often hundreds of times yeah. in a row now i think you could just pretend that was a new composition by steve reich or something but um but obviously like listening to someone practice music can be a different experience to listening to them perform mm. um i i am drawing the line at aspiring djs mm. put your decks away plug the headphones in that's not the same as practicing music in um, your opinion, no. In in I mean, as a matter of objective fact, it's, it, it's not exactly the same as practicing music. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah. So there we are. That's the question. And we're talking about. Sorry, there's a phrase um, that um, Chris used once in another podcast that we did. That was something about. We were talking about the rights of one individual bumping up against the rights of another one. And Chris, yeah. you, you used a phrase that was already out there, which I hadn't before heard before, um, which I really liked and in a concept of law. But anyway. Well, I'll, I'll talk about that Go on. shortly, I think. But yeah. um, I, I, I was just going to I was just going to say um, sort of my perspective on this particular case, um, because uh, we sort of the garden behind ours mm. uh, once a year um they they gather in s sort of spring time and they have like a folk music recital mm. uh in the back garden and it's actually rather nice right so mm. it's it, it's always the same time of year and it's clearly this community of of you know folk musicians and they get together and they're pretty good um, and you hear this sort of, you know, nice um, hubbub of, of, of conversation, you know, and then eventually... Uh, it culminates in the burning of someone in a giant that, wicker that's, that's sculpture. That's right. There's a bit of human sacrifice yeah. after the barbecue. <laughs> that gets um, a bit noisy, yeah. but anyway. Uh, but um, they, uh, they essentially sort of, you know, uh, call to order and they have this, like, recital. And, you know, this... this it's outdoors and it's springtime and this this music kind of drifts over over the garden fence and it's quite nice right um and so so i'm sort of like oh well that's pleasant but it's once a year so i think that's one of the one of the the factors if they did that every all day every day i might be less um sort of amenable or i might find it less less pleasurable so i think i think there's something here about the repetitiveness of a professional musician mm. on your doorstep. So it's something about frequency of, of, of this thing. Um, also something we sort of talked about, kind of alluded to as well is it's, you know, let's say you were a hip young gunslinger, okay, even more so than you already are. Yes. Then, you know, if it, was, yeah, if it was sort of some urban mm. grime, is, is that what it's called? Maybe. Yeah. Tra trap. I, yeah. Drill? Yes. Yeah. That kind of thing? Then, yeah. And then you might hear that once a year they have a, an, an urban whatever, you know, mm. drill party behind you. And you love that because that's what you're into as well. But then, <clears> you know, but then they... Every other quarter they have folk, and that drives you mad. So taste as well. Uh, I'm, sorry. Right. I'm sorry, Fraser. <coughs> Let's say I told you about one property where the neighbours have a drill party every year yes. and another uh, property where the neighbours have a folk music party every year. Yeah. Where do you think the house price is going to be higher? 
Now, yeah, come yeah. on. Yeah. It's not just a matter of taste. Well, because well, the drill pie is more likely to be in London, so it's going to be there. Actually, that <laughs> is a good point. A good point. Yeah. I, yeah. I take it's probably it back. True. Yeah. Anyway, the, um, the, the, other, the other sort of uh, personal sort of experience that comes to mind when I'm thinking about this is um, uh, I'm a whistler, right? Mm. I, I always whistle. And I remember um, sort of, and, and I do it, you know, subconsciously in some way. Some, some, something will come into my head and I'll start whistling a tune associated with it. And I don't really know I'm, I'm doing it. Um, and I, I consider myself... As long as it's not the Horst Vessel song or something, then, you know, that's probably OK. <clears throat> but, I, but, well, I consider myself to be a, a rather... Um, uh, talented? Good, talented, good whistler, you I'd know. I'd love to be a good whistler. Do you think we um, could get a recital out of Chris now? Go for it. Well, I'll, I'll it's need very to, hard I'll to whistle to, to order, to, actually. Uh, yeah, it is. I'll, I'm but gonna, I'm you need gonna, to wet your whistle. I'm going to wet my whistle. <laughs> Um, and be prepared be for angry. Um, yeah. Can we? Can we? Angry beatings on the walls here. Yeah. Can we have <clears throat> Lily Bolero? Okay. <laughs> That's quite a difficult one for this. <laughs> any? I'll, I'll be happy with anything. Oh, that faded at the end there. It is difficult to whistle to order, I have to say. Yeah, and that isn't really Lily Bolero. No, I said I wasn't. Oh, okay, he then right. said I could whistle. I was distracted by your intense facial oh, concentration I was actually, I was, going on. Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite, it's, it's quite difficult. Anyway, that probably didn't do my whistling justice. Hold on. I, is it, I can't, oh, really, really I can't whistle. I can't whistle very well. Oh, okay. I find you, I can whistle better outdoors. Okay, here we go. Okay, so, okay, Nick's definitely... Oh, it's weedy, though, isn't Nick's it? definitely the worst. I'm yeah. second worst, and then you're way above us. Anyway, I, I feel we anyway, sort of... Yeah, okay, we, we got slightly <laughs> off topic. Uh, anyway, so I would wander around whistling, mm. uh, whether whether well or not. But mm. um, uh, this this woman once, uh, who, was, uh, who I was working in, a, in an office with, sort of said, oh, I really hate whistling. Um... And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I, so I then concentrated on, on not whistling. But the point is, it, she find, found that noise, for whatever reason, uh, like really unpleasant, right? And this, is, this boils down to, to the sense of, uh, of taste. But it's not just, do you like that music and not particularly like that music? There, there are some people may found, particularly high-pitched kind of sounds. So if she's practicing her, her low whistle which may actually be low pitch, but um, <laughs> uh, it might be really irritating to, to that person. Not just, not just oh, I, I don't like that, it's a bit of a nuisance, but it could be highly irritating. But of to course, it might be highly irritating for someone who really likes whistling to, n to have to sit there concentrating Quite, on not right? doing it. So This is definitely an episode, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this, this brings, brings me to the idea that you you had alluded to earlier, uh, you know, the idea of sort of positive versus negative liberty, right? Positive versus that, negative liberty, exactly yeah. that. So as as sort of espoused by uh, Isaiah Berlin, hmm. um, uh, I suppose he could be our, our podcast's second favourite <laughs> philosopher, perhaps, mm -hmm. given that he, he came up with the whole idea of uh, foxes and hedgehogs, didn't he? So um, anyway... Um, <clears throat> And, and this is the idea that, you know, positive liberty is about your your 
rights to fulfill your own purpose and you know f follow your own desires and negative liberty being about the um freedom from from constraints you know and it's often associated with the idea of stopping the nanny state and so on i shouldn't be stopped from from doing things and and so it, then we get into the, the the question of um you know this woman didn't like whistling and so you know i was sort of imposing on on her by whistling i was sort of constraining her pleasure in some way um but uh i want to have the freedom to fulfill my purpose as it were to be able to whistle and the, and the same is true here of this this yeah. sort of musician and it's it's at the crux of a lot of these kinds of uh, dilemmas so um, well just so, sorry just before you go on nick mm -hmm. this is actually uh, important for me so two, two things one an observation actually i sit on as you know i'm nick i'm a multi-instrumentalist and i sit on yeah. and on a lot of folk nights especially where i live now in Lincolnshire. there's like two or three every night everywhere up and down the county i have to go I have to sort of spread them out a bit and only go once every couple of months because even I sitting on the fine folk nights really quite annoying actually because it's just <laughs> the same bloody chords more or less all along jigging along all bloody night long. Um, anyway, one, two. This is really important to me because actually I need help on this right. because cause I'm having a party soon, a massive party, mm. which is my 50th birthday party and it's going to be an Elvis extravaganza and I'm holding it outside and I need to tell my neighbours about this mm. and I need to, um, I need to. Well, you've left the building. Yes, Soft soften the ground. Yeah, I need exactly. So I need advice on this. So yeah. help me out. Uh, I see there is a problem. When you invite them, w yeah, that's definitely right, part that's of it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Invite them. Yeah, yeah. And 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 explain it's once every ten years in the case of your party and um, uh, buy them a buy them a, a mm. apologetic once every fifty years bottle surely. of champagne or something. Mm. Um, so the um, transition from hunter gatherer to farmer societies uh, was apparently around about ten thousand to five thousand. BCE. Yep. Obviously, this is sort of before recorded history, so I don't really know. Um, as it seems to be the case that communal living was more or less the norm in hunter-gatherer societies. Yeah. So, in other words, like the concept of you having your thing, and you, and I've got mine, and it's precisely delineated. Mm. Um, and 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 I think that the the in terms of like what most people experienced, I think up until the feudal age people generally lived in the same buildings and slept in the same mm -hmm. room. And, you know, in castles, people would sort of bed down in the main hall, or most people. And it was only really in the Renaissance and, and onwards when you started to see the the idea of private spaces being normal and having dedicated rooms, you know, having having a well, this is the bedroom and that's the and that's mm. the living room and so on. Um, so it, I think this concept of having your own private living area and, and therefore having some kind of right to exclude things like noise is probably only a, a function, something that we've kind of had to come up with over the last couple of hundred years. Um, allegedly, right? I'm not sure how true that is um, because I sort of I think, well, you know, pe people living in Jericho. Uh, must mm. nevertheless have been annoyed by noisy neighbours. Well, stuff. and trumpets in particular. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Horns. I Little think, did they know it was yeah. going to get a whole lot worse, yeah. Um, so just put that in perspective, this, this may be a hangout or at least a feature of the fact that we have sort of transitioned, um, you know, into sedentary societies. Mm. But as people, we, uh, you know, are still fundamentally hunter-gatherers, at least we have 
hunter-gatherer urges. And, and thus we get conflicts like this. Now, you imagine if you were a musician in a nomadic society, you just walk off somewhere else. Mm. Like the concept of being, you, you know, like it's not, this problem just couldn't really have arisen in the same way as it does now. Um, you know, if you didn't like your neighbours, you could just move to a different place and, you know, put your tent somewhere else. Or, you know, it's, it's uh, so I think this is this is much more of a problem in sedentary societies it would be my, um, you know, hypothesis. And, and yet we haven't got the solution yet. And I think the solution is suggested by the coast theorem, which I think we've mentioned before. But um, well, it's the idea that essentially these sorts of conflicts where you have an externality, in this case, um, a sort of, well, it's a negative externality in the sense that the person doesn't like the noise, but it's not something that's sort of being bought or sold. Um, if we were able to assign all rights <clears throat> perfectly to, to who owns what, then this problem would go away. It would be priced in. So if the neighbour, uh, for example, if, if their title to that property included being, um, you know, being free from any noise, Obviously, that's the same as imposing a kind of constraint on their neighbours. And then, then they could simply come to a financial arrangement. You know, that, that neighbour could sell that right to the musician neighbour. And, and, you know, it might be that, um, uh, you, you know, that house prices would adjust so that, OK, if I get, if I get a quiet house, a bit like the quiet carriage in a train, mm. you know, it might be more valuable certainly for some people and, and other people might want to pay to pay more to live in a house with the right to make noise where you know their neighbors didn't have that title so um but the, but uh, i mean that is undoubtedly the solution you can prove it using maths but our institutions haven't really got to grips with that i think you know like well, our institutions still assume basically that with communal areas we will behave a bit like you know communalist societies that will just sort of get on with each other and we'll all look after the stairwell equally and we'll all tidy up our you know our front gardens and it becomes really problematic when you know when you have people who don't follow the same rules or have really fundamentally different tastes because we don't we haven't put all of these institutions in there to govern that but yeah. how do we move beyond sorry chris how do we move beyond saying oh this is a problem and this is why it's a problem to, I mean, how do we, I'm sure what well, we're saying now has been said many times elsewhere. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking about um, some of the things Nick was, was talking about there and where they, where they sort of um, move us and, you know, what, what solutions might be, but sort of just opening up the, the, the problem space a bit more, really, which is that he talked about um, uh, the idea that you know you can set preferences right and you know you might really want one thing so you would pay more for it um, and you know Nick might want another thing and he would pay more for that and you can sort of adjust your priorities and and um, but of course that assumes or, or, or at least the, the model of how that would work equitably across society assumes that you're starting off with a similar pot of resource right but actually you know society isn't sort of equitable in that in that fashion and you you know you have people who are more powerful than others and who their preferences you know like i don't know let's say opera opera music might be considered tolerable to to society because the people who like opera music might have more power than the people who like drill right where it might be considered antisocial in some way mm -hmm. so so there's an element of of how do you how do you deal with that power uh, 
um, inequity. Um, the other thing is uh, there are just some things that, that like are, are ob the answer's obvious to, right? So um, like my right to take your property, okay, does not exceed your right to hold on to your property. And well, the, the it, it's literally impossible <laughs> having property is precisely the same as somebody not having the right to go and take it. If, if you yes. had the right to take it, it would be yeah. your property. Or, or, if, or, if, if, if you both thought you had the right to it, then, then we got a problem. Okay, or my right to punch Fraser in the face is... Ex I certainly know, would Trump not contest that Trump by, by his rights to not be punched in the face, right? So there are some things where you're like, okay, this is... This is uh, this is obvious, but uh, or, or um, actually, Nick, I find your breathing quite offensive. Could yeah, you, me too. could you stop it, Good. please? Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so there are these things where you're like, well, we don't have to, we don't have to really think that hard. There's an obvious answer to whose rights trump who there, but it's the edge cases, and I, I, I'm guessing, given that we're not all in constant conflict, that. There are relatively few edge cases, and they, they sort of annoy people, but, but it must be the minority of things. Otherwise, we'd all be at, you know, one or another. Oh, they have, there have been murders and things, haven't they, over mm -hmm. things like people moving their boundary fences. So, so I, Is this a problem of developed, wealthy societies as well, do you yeah, think? Yeah, well, maybe. I, but I think that I, uh, we're thinking about noise, but bear in mind that this actually is the same problem as, it lo you know, and I know that's a kind it of is. within yeah, yeah. between household. We think of between households maybe in a different way as within households, but it's not. It's different. It's the same as if you're sharing a house with five other people, you know, there's a communal area, which is the kitchen, and you've got to agree what's what you can do there. It's so it's not it really is that kind of how do we manage communal spaces? And since the since the sound is it the air is in some sense a communal space that that's part of that problem right so how and, and so and i i don't think there's ever been you know a group of flatmates who've all lived together and there hasn't at some point been some sort of problem about who's buying the toilet rolls or whose turn it is to do the washing up so so i i think we you know it's it's easy to say this doesn't happen very often but i think it, as a fundamental issue this is everywhere. It's absolutely yeah, it, it's it's even more everywhere. profound than that because when you were talking, Chris, and talking about um, you know the potential weight of um, opera lovers versus drill uh, lovers, um, it remind and how do you mitigate that and rule for that, legislate for that? It reminded me, I think, um, of the American voting system, where precisely I think because I think it's the Senate where so every single state has two um, mm -hmm. senators. I think that was initially so that the less populated states, right out in the middle or in the south at the mm -hmm. time didn't get um, outweighted by more populous states, um, which, you know, much smaller in the East and so on. But what that means is 150 years later, then it gets distorted even further still. But it's trying to legislate for the same thing, don't we do? Am I, I mean, so I guess what I'm trying to say is absolutely, yeah, it's pretty profound and it crops up everywhere. Yes, it does crop up everywhere. I suppose the point I was trying to make is that um, it's, on the, so so it appears regularly but it must be about the minority of things we don't have arguments all the time about everything we have arguments occur but you know about in communal living but in in the sort of you know around a small number of of, of things and unless you build up a you know strong resentment to yeah, your, well to your it, it might be that we are simply well i say we let's just say people who are good at living in a city are simply better at managing that sort of conflict implicitly right uh, in other words they they kind of agree to abide by the rules 
you know yeah we 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 all we all more or less i mean i i i don't play the piano after you know nine o'clock in the evening for example not because there's some something somewhere which says i can't but because it seems reasonable to me you know and and um and and yet i mean i've lived in um i lived in a a, a, well my mum's flat where i grew up uh you know she she'd always played the piano i'd always played the piano um, downstairs neighbour was fine with it. it was during the day no problem they got a tenant they moved out and a tenant moved in and I was playing the piano one day shortly after they moved in and bash on the floor with uh, one assumes a broomstick handle um, this makes me just I, was, my blood is boiling as we speak about 1pm or something <gasps> and um, then I went down and knocked on the door and I, I was like what's the problem and this guy was like um you know, you're, oh, my baby's trying to get to sleep uh, and you're making all this noise. Well, the infuriating thing there wasn't, I mean, I took fine, totally. Why get not just it. come and chat to you? Why not come and chat to me? Why is the first response a bash on the floor? I found that so infuriating. But you were irritated by his broomstick in the um, same way as he was irritated oh, I, by I, your I would have happily put up I get And then you knocked on the door and he was probably irritated by that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but the, but the point is that, that you know, I, he, I don't think, let's just say he wasn't as good at conflict resolution as, as I was. And, um, you know, he should, that's how, what he should have done. He should have said, oh, uh, really sorry to be a pain in the bum, but, you know, I've got this baby and um, it likes to go to sleep between midday and two or whatever. Is it okay if you don't play the piano? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I think that the fact that we probably have really internalised a lot of conflict avoidance uh, means that this is much less of an issue than it could be an issue. He, he might have been a very good conflict re resolver, but he had a young baby, and I think all of us, yeah, I think all of us have been in that situation where. Uh, you can lose your rationality yeah, he, quite quickly. I thought you'd say where you can lose your baby. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I've he, never lost my baby. No, no. But he just moved in. Yeah. He just moved in. He was an interloper. Yes. You know, it's quite. like coming to a new tribe yeah. and then telling them what the rules are. It's like, no, that's not how it works. No. Right? Um, you can ask for me to be quiet, but you can't demand it. Uh, I, I was, was going to sort of think about, so one of the things I think uh, is quite interesting that Nick raised there was about, you know, perhaps city dwellers of are of a type and perhaps yeah. country dwellers are of a type. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, whether, whether or not that makes them more social because they live in more densely uh, populated areas or less, um, less social is an interesting question because, you know, in, in sort of, um, I suppose, intuitively, you think about cities as being anonymous spaces, right? Y yes, there's lots of people around you, but you're perhaps not intimately familiar with all of them. Whereas actually village life, there are fewer people, but, you know, maybe everybody knows everybody's business. So it's 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 maybe the same amount of, of sort of communality it's just more concentrated in, f in fewer people but um but i was thinking any that what it made me think of was this idea of like-mindedness mm -hmm. um and actually that's quite a critical enabler of communal living and th there's this idea of um intentional community which is which is uh residential communities that are, that are designed to um have a cohesiveness and involve team working and um, uh, and actually to to have similar forms of thought. So if you think of, you know, 
uh, collectives, kibbutzes, communes, sort of religious communities like the um, like the Amish um, uh, uh, and so on. You know that 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 idea of oh the the people we're choosing to to live with and and you know work alongside are ones who share similar goals and values to us, and that that's maybe um, a more sort of uh, a, a better recipe for you know if you can select those you cohabit with there's perhaps more chance that you share values and you're all like yes opera music's fine of course opera music's fine or whatever it might yeah, be, yeah. it might be um, yeah yeah I mean I know that's that this is the, somewhat similar to Nozick's um, vision of utopia was this sort of entirely voluntary uh, rules system so there weren't any overarching rules what there would be is you would effectively identify the set of rules that you want to live under hmm. and you move to that community. So so instead of prescribing a set of rules that we all ought to live by, he said, no, we should have this almost set of meta rules where we can choose our own rules. But you, what you don't get to do is impose your rules on, on other people. But I, I just in going back to that thing of of are there different types of people that actually maps really well onto Robin Hanson's um uh, sort of distinction between farmer norms and and forager norms, mm. which is really interesting. I, I it's an interesting thought. He he said that uh, so forager foragers, um, I mean he's literally talking about their lifestyle, but it also maps onto their kind of morality. Um, have mm. more complex jobs, work fewer hours, do more exercise, more varied diet, like exploring, um, ha tend to have fewer kids, spend more time on leisure, music, etc. Whereas farmers travel less, they're politer, they care more about order and cleanliness. Um, you know, those are the things that are actually important. Uh, self-sacrifice, self-control, they're much more important if you're going to be a farmer, right? You, Because you, you, your kind of behaviour and effort is directly tied to your output. So the, the in, and, and you will be interested in this, uh, particularly Fraser. Yeah. I found a theory that Tom Hartman hmm. uh, said that he thinks that the diagnosis of ADD and ADHD, hmm. the, the, the increase in that diagnosis is a result of um, hunter type people or forager type people being having farmer type norms imposed on them. Yeah. But the, the so the, the where that what happened, that means in terms of morality is that uh, farmer minority tends to deal very well with conflict between people by by effectively drawing lines between them and, and, and avoiding communalism. Like f farmers effectively set up institutions so that we have less communalism. Mm. So you have more hierarchy, for example, um, whereas whereas uh, forager norms are much more about sharing and communalism. And, and weirdly, I feel like cities, which are a result ultimately of the agricultural revolution, in fact, allow people to be foragers uh, more in the sense that... I don't that think so. I think, no, I think because keep those going. people, yeah. the, like, for example, so Hansen says that um, forager norms are basically left-wing and farmer norms are basically conservative yeah and um and obviously you find far more you know left-wing people in cities yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, so hansen's theory is that you know increasing wealth effectively unlocks a return to forager norms rather than the slightly artificial farmer norms yeah, yeah. anyway i'm not wholeheartedly signing up to it but i like it i like it but two things one we need to wrap up we need to come to a conclusion by the way i think this has been good but second although that sort of makes sense and you could sort of say hey if there's this kind of people fority type people 
forager type people rather and farmer type people hey then you can solve some of the issues by putting them in communes together or living you know that and that but actually it does, all that does is kind of shift the problem along and up because mm. what happens when those two groups of communities are living next door to each other yeah becomes an issue uh, anyway unless unless someone's got anything really burning they want to say um question time but I, was, I, was just, I was just going to say uh, there's quite an interesting model um, that came out of Denmark called co-housing, which I think, uh, you know, potentially gives you the opportunity to have your cake and eat it. And this mm. is this is the idea of um, sort of communal housing that has private space and communal space. So you have your own kitchen, but there's also a, a sort of communal kitchen. That this sounds like can, student halls. No? Uh, I suppose a little bit, except it's it's family housing and they they share resources across gotcha. uh, across the house. So, you know, they have one lawnmower for the street or, or whatever. So yeah. it's, it's a kind of cooperative element where it makes sense, but you've then got your space to go and be whatever kind of person you want to be uh, on, on your own. But it sounds very hippie and, and It, it scan, sounds brilliant scandy. if you're yeah. Danish or Swedish. Yeah, or, you know, yeah it kind of yeah. sounds like it already relies on a lot of shared norms. Yeah. yeah. It's a classic Nordic Which is where thing. the Nordic model is starting to break down well, exactly. now as they, um, yeah. uh, that, that, that sort of uh, yeah, social contract that yeah. they all signed in the, uh, in the 60s. Yes. <laughs> it's been torn up as we speak. Yeah. Um, brilliant. So look, quick question. When have either you been a super, when you, do you think you've been at your most annoying as a neighbour or in a neighbourly situation, it doesn't have to be strict in that sense of the word, or when have you most been annoyed, um, an instant, an in by someone else? Yeah, I mean, you can do one or the other. Or both, up to you. Uh, I can kick us off if you want, because mm. I'm always annoying people and always getting annoyed by people. I remember once, years ago, about 20 years ago, I, on purpose, went in the quiet carriage of a train, which I rarely do, but it'd been a long, stressful day, working hard, as always. And I just wanted to relax on the way home, my commute home. Um, and um, it was a relatively quiet carriage, just in, in terms of the amount of people. But then this one person, this woman, um, young, young woman, sat down near me, and proceeded to get her mobile phone out uh -oh. and started calling, having a really long, and as we know, there's always this direct relationship between volume and um, just general Banality. Thick. Banality, there you go. Um, and so, because I'd specifically chosen a quiet carriage, I did I go over, excuse me, would you mind, da 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 da, da at this point, and- um, I think the thing to do is to not even say anything, but simply to point to that this is a quiet carriage. Do yeah. the altar, keep yeah. the lips sealed symbol. Suffice to say, she sort of took umbrage at this. Oh, no. And just started having this land, long sort of ranty conversation about me with her boyfriend. It's clearly her boyfriend. And just going, yeah, what an idiot and all this kind of stuff. And I just sat there just fuming. And I did nothing about it apart from... You didn't from, get a burly guard to come and evict her. No, um, but I did grab her phone and throw it out the window. Yeah, that's reasonable, I think. In my, yeah. you know, imagination oh, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is, I think, is a, is a good example of sort of... It, not exactly, it, there's no incivility, but a good example of sort of how hard it can be to resolve things like this um, is uh, our next door neighbours, um, very sweet family. Um, mm. The the dad, who's now sadly passed away, fairly elderly, uh, they're all, it's all like first generation Italians. Mm. Um, not the best English speaker in the world mm. and would sometimes, something would have annoyed him but um, it, so, for example, you know, if there was a leak in the uh, pipe that the drain came from or there was some kind of something was dripping or so, or there was a problem with a wire or some something in the communal space. 
Um, he would, uh, it would take him absolutely forever to get round to talking about what we should do about it. He would come over and start telling telling us about what was going on, and you know, ah, oh, it's a real problem for him, and isn't it annoying? And um, it, and it's the leak is coming through to my basement, and and have I told you about my basement? It's it's where I make the wine. Oh, I get these Sangiovese grapes, and oh, you've got to come down and see. And it was like, I whereas I think I've probably almost like come from a probably a bit more of a direct, let's resolve the conflict kind of culture where I would want to say, right, what are we going to do about it? Do you mm. want to get it repaired? Shall we split the cost? But I think, you know, from his point of view, that would have seemed incredibly forward and rude. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I used to have to endure these interminable <laughs> conversations about any communal issue. And, and, I, and, and I sort of felt like, well, I get it. I get where he's coming from. He's, he's trying to turn this into just, you know, a, an us problem yeah. rather than a him and me problem. Yeah. But I was like, I was just perfectly happy. Perfectly happy to go, oh, yeah, that's a problem. Let's get it fixed. Let's split the cost. I'm starting to see that maybe you're the problem here mm, because this I sounds am. like quite a pleasant interaction to me. Um, anyway, let's, let's, let's sort of draw a veil <laughs> over that. Um, Chris? Well, I suppose I would pick an example of um, unneighborliness um, that uh, I'm aware of. Um, I, I mean, aside from, you know, me sort of uh, breaking neighbours' greenhouses, playing cricket or something, something like that as, mm. a, as a child, mm. um, a friend of mine at school, uh, he was a bit of a sort of latchkey kid, so mm. he would go home and, and let himself in, um, and he, uh, he forgot his keys, and he uh, really needed to go to the toilet, mm. and so... Um, and and it wasn't the, it was the, the less convenient of of the two mm. um, excretion processes. Mm. Anyway, he um, decided he decided to uh, disburthen himself in his neighbour's front garden, not his own, <laughs> but his neighbour's front garden. And I always thought that was a good example of one of those things where. You don't need to. You don't need some set of rules to decide whether or not that is acceptable or not. It, well, it, it would have been less problematic if his neighbour hadn't been sitting in a desk <laughs> well, chair <that's> right. <laughs> reading the paper three yes. feet away. But yeah, 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 quite. Right, right. Let's stop there. That was very enjoyable. Um, went to some surprising places, um, but that all the better for it. So um, thank you as always for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare and Chris Rag of Aleph Insights. Until next time. Goodbye.